Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Carolina Panthers assembling the best coaching staff in their franchise's history. Feel free to text us 704-570-9610. That's the question that we're asking after some of the latest additions to that coaching staff came in over the last five days or so. How about the first ever Panther coach in their franchise history, Dom Capers, returning in 2023 as a senior defensive assistant alongside Ajero Averro, who is here as the defensive coordinator for Carolina after we talked about his hiring last week. But they weren't done. Not only do they go back and they get Dom Capers, they're bringing somebody else back that was here in 2008 and 2009. That's Josh McCown. Not only was he here then, but he was here a couple of years ago coaching Myers Park football. Josh McCown, longtime journeyman in the NFL, one of the better backups in the NFL. We saw him play some decent football when called upon as well. And so he is here, a part of this coaching staff, just to keep everybody updated on what's going on. Your QB coach is Josh McCown. Your offensive line coach is James Campen. Your offensive assistant, we don't really know, running back coach, that's Deuce Staley. I don't think he has an official title, but he's on the coaching staff. Ajero Averro, defensive coordinator. Dom Caper, senior defensive assistant, linebacker coach, Peter Hansen didn't even mention him, and then special teams coach, Chris Tabor, Frank Reich, controlling everything as the head coach. A lot of names that we like. We were pretty excited about some of the names that came in over the weekend, too. Wes, are you comfortable saying that, at least expectations-wise, heading into a season, this is the best coaching staff we've seen from Carolina? Yes. Uh, as we await an offensive coordinator hire, which we heard some news on who it could be mm-hmm. uh, this weekend. But, yeah, I think when you look at all the names on that list, bringing back Dom Capers, you know, 180, him coming back to Charlotte to coach on this staff, Averro, a defensive coordinator that seemingly a lot of teams wanted, and that was a head coaching candidate. Um, you know, Frank Reich is, is highly regarded as well as a head coach. And Deuce State, like I said, is one of the rising candidates in the NFL right now. Not to mention just some some fun names of guys who were once good players in this league. You talk about Josh McCown, who's been one of the better backups of recent memory. So a lot of guys there, a lot of good playing experience and guys who have proven themselves to be pretty solid coaches. So I think that right now on paper, yes, the staff does look to be quite impressive. It looks to have a lot of uh, young and seasoned coaching acumen on it. So you really couldn't ask for much more. It's it's well-balanced across the board. This offensive coordinator piece is going to be, uh, you know, the next big domino in it. Mm -hmm. And I think that will pretty much fill out the staff from a, just from a major standpoint of, you know, who the main guys are going to be. So, yeah, man, I I think this is as good a coaching staff as you could ask for. Now, Ron the Plumber, he writes in the Garage Door Guru text line, 704-570-9610. Hold on. 
wait a moment. Let's ask about the coaching staff in their history after maybe eight games next season. Well, and we I, said on and paper. I get it. Right. Well, and I didn't use that exact term, but I'm talking mm. about expectations for sure. On paper, you have to like this coaching staff that has been assembled here in Carolina. You brought up the offensive coordinator. We do not have one yet. Maybe a little less importance with this coaching staff because you expect Frank Reich to be the play caller. He expects that as well. He kind of talked about that. But at the same time, they haven't named one yet. And if you have not named one yet, here we are the day after the Super Bowl. Oftentimes that means you are waiting for one of those coaches that is participating in the Super Bowl. And so that's why the Colts don't have a head coach right now. All reports indicate that the Colts are going to go with Shane Steichen, Philadelphia's offensive coordinator. If that is the case, Wes, Shane Steichen goes to Indianapolis. He's the new head coach. I saw Joe Person tweet this out over the weekend. I agree. You'd have to imagine that Philadelphia does not want their quarterback coach right now in Brian Johnson to leave the organization, that you would promote him. I would also imagine Johnson wants to stay with that organization that just got to the Super Bowl where he gets to work with his quarterback continued in Jalen Hurts. And so anybody that you would steal from Philadelphia's organization, I would imagine that you're talking about Frank Reich going into a different direction. And that includes somebody that they interviewed from the Rams when you're talking about uh, Thomas Brown. Yeah, so, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how many coaches from the Eagles staff does get uh, plucked, for lack of a better term. <laughs> Birds plucked. Anyway. So, uh, no, nah, it's no. be, it wasn't trying to be a joke. I just said birds and pluck. So, anyway, uh, it'll be interesting to see how many of their coaches get picked because we know that's part of the game. When you win the Super Bowl, people are going to want your coaches. People are going to want a piece of the IQ that made your team get to where they got to. So it is safe to say the Panthers probably will be going after uh, the coach on the Philadelphia Eagles, but it will be hard because if Steichen is indeed named the head coach of the Colts, you would think that they would uh, let Johnson ascend to that role, so that will be hard for them to get. Thomas Brown, from what I've seen from him, he's a candidate that's kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, nobody's really been talking about him for their offensive coordinator positions from what I've seen. So, um, but I like his background from what I read. He looks like a very fast rising candidate as well. So, um, it's going to be interesting to see how they feel the offensive coordinator role. Well, and you had this question too, just kind of asking whether Thomas Brown being a part of the mix now, does that lose some steam because it's not a name like Brian Johnson, right? Like what, what happens during these coaching searches is there is a candidate that has multiple interviews and then you perceive that as a great candidate. If you hire him, okay, this is fantastic where Thomas Brown does have an, an impressive resume, but it's not the big name that had been circulating around NFL circles where the Colts or, you know, what other, whatever vacancy you had, it's not like Brown was at the top of any of those lists. I, I still don't take that as, Certainly not a bad hire. I still don't take that as lackluster hire either. It's just not Brian Johnson. Jim Bob Cooter, as much as we love the name, I guess losing steam to be coming yeah. here. Because if they wanted him, why, why wouldn't you have hired him already? I guess you just wanted to see what was going to happen with Philadelphia. And at that point, it is, <laughs> is Jim Bob What if they Cooter. made a run at the enemy? Yeah, that'd be, I'd welcome it for sure. Now, the problem is, if you're the enemy, and you're not going to be calling plays, then you'd rather just work with Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes again, right? Like, sure. the the reason you leave is to get sole control over play-calling duties because if you just go to Frank Reich and he is the guy that has his fingerprints all over the offensive system, 
I don't know if that is the upgrade that you're looking for. So I'd love to have Eric Bannon be a part of the staff. I just don't think that's going to be the thing that happens. If we let, let's excluding Thomas Brown now, because we don't have the offensive coordinator yet, given what we've seen so far, how would you grade Frank Reich, David Tepper, Scott Fitterer, all the authority figures hiring some of these coaches? How would you grade the offseason that they've had on that front? Uh, I think right now, just on paper, you would have to give them an A. I mean, like I said, they got Everall was a huge gift for them, uh, not just by our estimations, but by a lot of national pundits really lauded uh, this hire. And so that's the big one that gives this an A. Talk about, like I said, Frank Reich, he's well-respected uh, in circles. Nobody came out in national circles and said that this was a bad hire by the Panthers. And as we talked about Deuce Staley, you bring Dom Capers back, who can do nothing but help with all of his wealth of experiences. Uh, he has a great track record with defenses. So, yeah, I mean, the offensive coordinator is going to play uh, into this grade a lot. But right now, I think you have to give him an A. I agree. Uh, where's the problem? Yeah. I can't find it right now. I don't, I don't have any issue. And again, even with the conversation between Steve Wilkes and Frank Reich, I just thought Steve Wilkes was deserving with the way that he coached a 500 football team after it looked like they were going to tank. But it's not like I think Frank Reich is a awful coach. I don't think he's a bad coach. And then you're talking about these staff hires. Jero Averro is the guy that I'm most excited about because we have seen some actual evidence from him with the Denver Broncos. And and same thing with James Campen, just retaining those guys. I think that's I think that's big time. But I'm excited about Averro. You know, coming in with a couple of different pieces. Brian Burns now getting to be that outside edge rusher. I'm excited about his role. Derek Brown is still the hardest one to figure out for me, though, Wes. I I, I think he can do it. I think he can be in, in the middle of an odd man front. I think he's strong enough. I, I'm sure you want to get somebody bigger. What is Derek Brown, like 310? Mm-hmm. And and you might want to find your Jordan Travis or whatever coming in at like 350. Maybe, maybe you want to find more of your prototypical run stuffer, odd man front type of guy. But I, I do think that Derek Brown can play in the middle and, and be pretty effective. I like him. You, you, I do not you want don't, him you, to play in the middle because I think that's going but to— But is he an outside—he's not an outside guy on that front, right? Like No, yeah. You think so? That's what you want. You, your defensive ends in the 34 are going to be big guys. They're going to be borderline D-tackles. They're going to be three-technique types. Like, you have your rare air type of guys like a Chris Long. Like, when Chris Long came out and he was playing in the odd front, that's 6'5", 275, 280. But Derrick Brown is athletic enough to be a 3-4 defensive end, not a 4-3 DN, but as a 3-4 DN, he's perfect for that role. But I don't want to stick him in the middle and make him be a space eater because that's going to take away from what he does. You want that 3-4 guy to just be a big, massive human being that's going to take up two to three guys so your linebackers can run and make plays. I don't want to waste Derrick Brown's talent and athleticism doing that. I want to put him on the outside where he can make some plays, get some sacks, get some pressure. I'm just thinking out loud here, guys. When you look at this staff, does this make you change your opinion of of them hiring Frank Reich over Steve Wilkes? And maybe is the staff that he's putting together is the reason why Dave Tepper ultimately went with him over Steve? Was maybe he trusted Frank Reich's ability to bring in the type of coaches he's bringing in right now? I like Frank Reich as a coach just fine. I think David Tepper... I mean, if you're just talking about Tepper giving the resources to whatever coach he was going to hire, how different is this coaching staff under Steve Wilkes compared to Frank Reich? Now, Reich is going after some guys that he knows. I guess Jim Bob Cooter, he knows him. 
he might be going after a Brian Johnson, but isn't everybody kind of going after Brian Johnson? The Jero Averro thing, I guess, would be the most interesting thing here. Well, I mean, would you rather have him or Al Holcomb? But that's the thing. If there could have been a conversation, and if Steve Wilkes is like, nope, Al Holcomb is my guy, you can't affect the defensive coaching staff I'm putting together, then fine. But if you're talking about all that Skrilla and you finally getting a head coaching job and David Tepper is like, look, man, I just don't. And, and I don't want the owner to meddle like that. But clearly, David Tepper, being the owner, has allowed you to go after some of these very much suited guys or pursued guys, I should say, in Ajero Averro. Like Minnesota, that was the favorite landing spot. But David Tepper's got as much money as anybody. It's like, nah, man, we won. Straight cash, homie. So I, I don't know if I would view it that far favorably. I think you could have done some similar things with Steve Wilkes as the head coach. Yeah, I think Steve Wilkes would have definitely put together a good staff as well. I think if he did want to go in a different direction as a D.C., I think Evero would have maybe even been more inclined to come coach uh, with the Steve Wilkes. So, um, yeah, I, I don't really see a big difference there. Uh, TFB saying Sue played outside in Tampa's 3-4. That would fit your uh, analysis. Yeah, that's what you want. Yeah, I, for me, I guess it's just the pass rushing ability from Derek Brown where I get it. I know you want space eaters. I get that. I guess... I guess I'm just talking about somebody that's able to pass rush a little bit more from even that odd man front. I guess that's what I'm thinking. I mean, and you want, like I said, you want your three, four nose to be an anchor. Like you don't, but that's the thing for me. Like that, that is what we sung the praise of with Derek Brown coming out, like how strong he is. And and that is where he makes his money in the league. But, but three, four nose tacklers don't put up a lot of stats. Like I said, they're space eaters. You just want them there to Mm -hmm. occupy blockers. Like you want, like even like Vita Vea is he could be a three four defensive end because he's so athletic, but well, just yeah. by standard of his size and what he could do, like that's what you want. Just stick you a big guy in the middle. It doesn't have to be a, a name guy, household name guy. Get you a big three hundred fifty pound, three hundred forty pound, three hundred thirty pound cat. Stick him in that middle. Take up blockers. That's all I want you to do. So is that an offseason need for this team then? Like yeah. You're, you're going after. Yeah, you got to go find a nose guard for sure. 100%. So um, if you're thinking about some of the other guys that will maybe flourish or has the potential to flourish, you kind of like all these pieces then. If you like Derek, to me, Derek Brown was the hardest one to evaluate, in my opinion. Like, it's still kind of a question for me. So if that was the hardest and you still feel pretty good about him going to the outside, quote unquote, on mm-hmm. an odd man front, then... If you feel good about that, I like Brian Burns as an outside linebacker rusher. Mm-hmm. And J.C. Horn, I think you just put him in the whole Pat Sertan role, mm-hmm. right? You're talking about Jeremy Chin being utilized all across the field with an Avero defensive scheme. I, it seems like you have some, um, I don't want to say easy well, transitional gonna, players. Yeah, but, but you're going to have to, you're going to have to find you two mics. If, especially if you're not going to keep Shaq, you got to find you a couple of mics that are monsters in that middle. What about Luvu? Do, do you need to find one? or is Well, he he's going to probably be the other outside backer. But yeah. you want to find you two guys in that middle, and then they're going to have to find another DN to go on the other side too. So they need to find those guard in an opposite defensive end that's going to be able to play in that scheme as well. Yeah, because YGM, even with – He's too small. Way too small. small. Well, and even with him being somewhat of a run-stopping defensive end, too, like that's where he's been better at least. You got to be a man. Oh yeah, I'm not putting him out there. I'm saying even with that, right? Like (laughs) you want 280 to 300, 310 on those 
those three, four defensive ends. All the beef in the world. Yeah. That's what you uh, that's what you want there. All right. 704-570-9610. That is the Garage Door Guru text line. We continue to talk about the Carolina Panthers coaching staff, but also how about the NBA trade deadline fallout? Mark Williams got his first couple starts in the NBA. How did he do? That's what we're paying attention to these days in Charlotte Hornets land. We'll get to it. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's the Wesson Walker Show Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We are back. Hit us up on the Garage Door Guru text line 704-570-9610. Hit us up on Twitter, Wes and Walker. You know how to spell it. I'm not spelling it for you this time. Okay. If you don't, then shame on you. You should have just paid more attention in uh, language arts class. That's right. Language right. arts. Yeah. <laughs> I've already called that. That was like <laughs> elementary the way that you <laughs> right. called it. About to say, yeah, language when, arts. When, when, did, when does it become English? Middle school or high school? I think high school. That's when you get to English and it sounds a lot because language arts, that yeah, just hit me in the juvenile feel. <laughs> Feels yeah. way young. Yeah, man. So um, talking about NBA trade deadline, everything that's happening, you're starting to see players uh, with their new teams. What a fun Thursday we had, man. Right. It was, it was so much unbelievable. Fun. We were right on in the heart of the trades, breaking everything to you. But one of the trades that the Hornets made getting – Rid of Mason Plumlee, sending him to the Clippers was to free up playing time for one Mark Williams. And so now uh, it's his show. What do you think so far of what you've seen from a young Duke big man? Well, I mean, how about the competition, first of all? The first game you see Mark Williams ever start in the NBA, it comes against the Boston Celtics, the best team in the Eastern Conference. And then the next team that you see... It comes against the Denver Nuggets, another championship contender. Oh, who, by the way, their best player is a two-time MVP award winner and just might get his third straight MVP. And Nikola Jokic made him look silly a couple times. And that's exactly what you would expect from a young guy starting his first and second games against someone that is that good like Nikola Jokic is. I'll say this, though, just going back to this Denver game before we go back to Boston, I at least thought he provided resistance Where when you saw Nick Richards play, I didn't get that. I thought Nick Richards struggled mightily against Nikola Jokic. And his rim protection numbers are actually pretty good this season. But man, I think Mark Williams, just the timing was off for him. I think he had a goaltending, the first bucket Jokic hit. There was the, um, there was the, just the mistiming of it all where I think Jokic missed one. Mark Williams just couldn't grab the rebound. And Jokic is kind of a master at manipulating the defense. Against Boston, Wes, in the first start that we ever saw, Mark Williams played 31 minutes. He had a double-double, and I do think defensively he showed you why you should be excited. How about him being isolated on Jason Tatum 
and staying in front of him and being long enough to where Tatum did not feel comfortable to shoot that three-pointer. One possession, sure. If you had it a million times, Jason Tatum, I'm sure, would school him and go for 30. But you're never going to have Mark Williams that sample size. You're going to have him on one in an emergency situation, and what does Mark Williams do? Has enough of a stance getting low, making sure that he doesn't get blown by. And then also he's long enough to where Tatum feels like he's going to have a contested shot. If he pulls up from three, that's the stuff you get excited about. You saw some pick and roll coverage there that you feel comfortable with Mark Williams protecting the rim. Still, this is what you get excited about. Now there's not a lot. That's just how it is. Okay. You're going to get a lot of losses with the Charlotte Hornets team. They've lost seven in a row. That's just how it's going to be. Mark Williams. If you want the bright light, that is the thing to pay attention to as the season goes on. I agree with you 100%. You want to see his development as the season goes on. Like I said, I mean, you're talking about a team that shot 25% from three. They're just struggling. And the Nuggets in that game only shot 21% from three. So that just kind of tells you how bad it is when they can play against teams that have tough nights and still they come out on the losing end. So you just want to see coming down the stretch, is Mark Williams going to be the guy? Can he really make it and play in this league? And I think the answer to that is yes. Will he have his struggles? Sure, uh, he will. But that's just the number one thing that you're watching for at this point. You know LaMelo is going to be LaMelo on most nights, and you want to see him continue to get better. 6-16 six versus the Nuggets. So you want to see a little bit more efficiency there, but you still almost get to a triple-double, nine rebounds, 12 assists, two steals, and – the thing about Melo, too, is that sometimes triple-doubles, I feel like, are so, I'm not going to say overrated, but they can be so overblown sometimes, depending on the context, how many empty calories uh, are in that meal, that triple-double meal, okay? You know, you go to McDonald's, you get a triple, you know, double or triple cheeseburger, whatever you want. <laughs> but how many empty calories are in that thing? And I think LaMelo, a lot of times, he has a major impact on how his team plays. You can look at numbers oh, yeah. and all that stuff as far as, the passing and him spreading the wealth, so to speak. So that's just the main thing. Just down the stretch, it's going to be the Mark and Mello show. Well, and offensively, it's Does that Lamello. sound like a real show that you will watch Mark and Mello? Well, I'm, I'm watching it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're left with no choice here, Wes. It is going to be the Mark and Mello show, what we're watching, because LaMelo, clearly that's the other reason you watch, right? I, I say the bright light is Mark. It's the other, it's the franchise guy. It's it just, that seemed a little too obvious for me to say to the Hornets faithful. But clearly LaMelo is still going to be that guy. And he played 35 minutes against Denver. There is no resting your franchise star here. There is not, okay, he's been injured. He's been banged up a few times. We're not going to give him all of this rest. He played 35 minutes against Denver. You look at this game against the Boston Celtics. LaMelo put up 38. So he's still playing quite a bit. Some of the other veterans are doing that as well. Gordon, 30. Terry Rozier, 36. I'll say this. Another, you know, exciting player that you're getting to watch right now. I like what Bryce McGowan's has given you this season. And it's been in limited playing time. But 21 minutes for him against Boston. Four of six from the field. Scored nine points. And Bryce McGowan seems like he cares out there. I think he plays hard. And one thing I like that I think is is already something transitioning from college to the NBA is the dude can get to the line. You know, he got there a couple times against Boston. He's aggressive. The three-point shot is something I expect to come around, but he's really athletic. I, I really like Bryce McGowan's as another one of these Mitch Kupchak second-round picks, uh, Wes, that could pan out. And maybe you trade him for a first-rounder like you did Devontae. Maybe you trade him to a contender because they value him like you did Jalen McDaniels. Mitch Kupchak has done a good job of finding second-round gems. I do think Bryce McGowan's is an example that could be the latest one of those guys that you like getting drafted in the last 30 spots. I agree with you. I mean, the youth movement 
is always going to be the most exciting part of a uh, basketball team that has a very bad losing record. You want to see what the young guys are going to do. This is the ample time for them, or this is the best time for them to showcase what it is that they bring to the table in hopes of making a case for them being a part of the franchise's future. I agree with you uh, with Bryce McGowan's coming in, what he's shown. He's shown in the summer league uh, a lot of promise as far as just his mentality towards the game. And then you see, you know, in regular season games when he does get an opportunity to get some minutes, you know, he tries his best to make the most out of those times, and he's impacting the game in a multitude of ways. When you look at the Boston game, he had nine points, but he had five boards. You look at the Phoenix game, he had four rebounds and three assists to go with five points. So he's finding other ways to kind of impact the game. Denver game, not so much, but you do like what you're seeing from him. Uh, so just a couple of updates, too, surrounding the Hornets, and one will lead to a big discussion. One, Jack asked, when are we going to see Spee Makai Luke? I don't know when we're going to see Spee. I don't know what's going to happen with the former Kansas standout, but that's all I know him from after bouncing around to a few different NBA franchises. The other update is that they did buy out Reggie Jackson. Yeah. That's something we expected. Jackson coming over in that Mason Plumley trade. They wave him, gets bought out, and now he's searching for another. I believe he ended up with the Denver Nuggets. If I'm not mistaken, I'm going to look that up and just make sure I get that right. But then a, a 919 number wrote in and as we were talking about some of the reasons to pay attention to this squad, you're missing miles. You're missing somebody to maybe pay attention for for the future. Michael Scotto reported over the weekend that the Hornets have prioritized retaining Miles Bridges. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what's going to happen there. Mitch Kupchak took questions on Miles and a lot of other different topics when he spoke from his Paris hotel. And he said, I can't speak too much on the Miles Bridges situation, but the NBA is... Uh, undergoing an on an ongoing investigation, I should say, excuse me. And then when that investigation is done, we'll get more clarity as to how this Miles Bridges situation is going to shape up. I don't know what the discipline is going to be. Are we talking about just a one-year suspension? Are we talking about it being a year and a half, too? I think that is within the cards here for Miles Bridges. So if that is the case, then... Do you want to bring him back, right? Like there, there are a lot of different morals as to why you might decide not to bring Miles Bridges back, even with him pleading no contest. You can decide that for whatever. I don't think it would be right. But the Charlotte Hornets, as the report states, they are prioritizing retaining him. And so it feels like, Wes, if this report is true, that the Hornets are trying to expose a glitch in the system because he's not going to cost close to $30 million a year like he was had he not been arrested for felony domestic violence. And if that's the case, are you paying him $20 million a year? You still have control. It's still restricted free agency. So whatever any other team wants to pay him, you can match that. What do you make of this Miles Bridges situation in this report that we got? One thing I was going to ask you, your thoughts. I thought that if the Hornets were going to do this, in my opinion, to me, they should have gone ahead and signed him. If they knew this was what they were going to do, because then you kind of can get it out of the way, so to speak. They wouldn't do it with PR right now, I don't think. That's though. what I'm saying. But either way, you're going to take the hit regardless. I know it's still fresher, but I was thinking like, okay, if you wait till this offseason, then he will have gone a full season without play, pa playing. Then you sign him back, he could still get a suspension. Whereas I'm wondering if they would have gone ahead and signed him the league would have done what it's going to do, and then you can come into next season with him or at least maybe the season after that because if he gets two years on top of already missing this year, it's like, you know, so um, I think 
for the Hornets, I think that it's just the the age-old adage in sports. If you're young and you have talent, people will tolerate, uh, plain and simple. And I think that what he did, as horrible as it is, and as many people feel like that he should not be back on this roster, at the end of the day, he is a young, all-star caliber player. And the Hornets are seeing firsthand what life looks like without him. And they don't want to do that for a franchise that is devoid of being able to lure stars to come here. They're like, this is a homegrown guy that's an all-star caliber player. We're going to give him a second chance, and that's going to be the guys that they put this under when they bring him back, that everybody deserves a second chance. We feel like with our locker room and our resources that we can help him to be a better man and all the stuff, you know what's coming with that. So um, me personally, I don't think that they should, but he is going to get a second chance at some point. You know that he will, so I figure the Hornets – feel like that it should be with them. Yeah, the Hornets are going to think that way, right? Be- because the the cynical part of this, if you are the Charlotte Hornets, it's, well, if he's just going to play in the league again because another team is going to capitalize on Miles Bridges' availability, why not us? And we'll wait for the PR hit to go away or not go away but dwindle down because that's 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 the way you handle this kind of thing. If you are a team that wants to bring Miles Bridges back, then what you're going to do is you're going to wait for quite a while because time does at least dwindle down the effect that you're going to take to some degree. A part of this, too, you do have to figure out what the NBA investigation is going to lead to. Because if you're talking about a one- or two-year punishment, Miles hadn't played all this year. It's a gross way to think about this, by the way. Like, let's just go ahead and bring that caveat to the forefront. It's very gross, okay? The dude got arrested for felony domestic violence, and then we went through this really long process where we saw some disturbing pictures on social media, and now here we are talking about the Hornets or the other NBA franchise's game plan as how to bring him aboard. And so we need to have that at the forefront here. But if you put yourself in the front office looking at this guy to bring on your team, he hadn't played in over a year at the time that you're going to look to bring him back, right? Has not played a second this season. I think he'll get suspended for at least a year. I do. Yeah, me too. So that's two years he hadn't played. Okay. If there are other teams that are also looking to break the system, or not even break the system, but look to capitalize on a guy that's very good that isn't going to get $30 million a year, just how much of a saving are you going to get? Because if there are other teams that are interested, like the Lakers, who were reportedly interested a while back, other teams could show up as they look to contend, and they actually decide to go after Miles. Maybe you brought it down to something, I don't know, 15 a year. But then other teams are interested. All right, well, we'll take the PR hit for 17. No, we'll take the PR hit for 21. How much do you keep going up? At some point, for all the wrong reasons, the money does become a part of the question again as to his playing ability. Right. Like and that that's what's interesting to me is how all these other teams are going to operate with something that we haven't really seen in quite some time regarding this player. Yeah. I mean, the thing with me, I think the money could be even different because of the trouble that he got in and the leverage that these franchises have on him. I don't know that it'll reach like that. I could see them doing like the the exception, like mid-level exceptions with him, like that caliber money, like five. Some of that, like making him truly earn it. He may have to do a prove-it deal. Um, it, ju- it it depends on – I mean, some of that is a part of the ethics that is the NBA. Do they care? Are, are, are you in the business of winning basketball games at all costs and you don't care? The dude pleaded no contest. It's done. The legal process is through. And maybe that's just how you want to operate. Hey, 
I want to win. Miles Bridges can be had for a small amount of money. Let's exploit that. Look, it depends on how much you think that should be a part of business decision. I do. I do think that should be a part of the Charlotte Hornets, especially with the way that they've operated over the last five, six years as an organization that Michael Jordan has used and propped up as an organization of philanthropy. Like, we've seen that quite a bit. And so, if you bring them back, all the stuff you were talking about, counseling, being involved in the community, Miles Bridges putting his face to this, and being extremely apologetic, you can decide how true that is, how genuine that is on your own. I can't tell you that for you. But with all of that stuff, you have to take all the backlash that comes your way if you decide to bring him back and you decide we're, we're trying to win at all costs. We'll have him do the community stuff, but this is a win now decision. This is a getting LaMelo one of his better friends decision. This is a, hey, we missed out. We know what life is like without Miles. We don't want to do that again decision. All of that is playing into this. And so I can't wait to see what's going to happen. I can't wait to see what type of contract he's going to get because I think that even if – you wait, and that was one of the reasons why I said they could have signed him and gotten it out of the way if that was their plan the whole time because it's like, yeah, time may make the interest in it go down a little bit, but as soon as they sign him, it's going to drum right back up again. It's going to be right back at the top of conversation, at least in this city. Well, and Mitch Kupchak told us in the media availability that was you know, kind of put together last second, I guess, because he was scouting, right? He was in Paris and didn't confirm, but we know he was watching Victor Wembenyama. He said that the plan is to bring back most of the free agent veterans on this team, if not all of them. Okay, so that's that's uh, DSJ, that's PJ Washington, that's Nick Kelly. Richards, that's Kelly Oubre, and it's Miles Bridges. So there are a couple of names there that leave me with an eyebrow raise. Like, but why though? <laughs> like, why? Why all of them? Okay, sure. DSJ is going to be on a small enough deal. Maybe you want his defensive prowess, but you can let him go. Okay, fine. Like, I value it, but we get the. I'm about the to say, there. man, you being really I dismissive. I know. Well, with P- PJ clearly is the is the the player I think they're going to invest in. I think that makes the most sense of all the players that we just mentioned. You let go of Jalen McDaniels. I thought that was going to be someone you invested in. I think that's going to go to PJ, but what do you do with Miles and even Kelly, who told you through the Charlotte Observer he wants to be here? Yeah, man, I this offseason is going to be fascinating. Well, it certainly is, and what's going to be fascinating as well is uh, our second Fitty. Fascinating. I'm ready for it. What you got for us, Fitty? Well, I'm actually going to use a text from earlier in the show to set the scene for my flash. My guy, NASCAR Brad, sent in a text earlier saying, quote, you guys know Duke got screwed over by the refs. A year ago, that call was made. Who's on the sideline shouldn't affect the referee's calls. Do you think officials need to start being suspended for critical errors made in, in games? A VAR official in the Premier League was removed from his position after a missed call over the weekend. So we see overseas leagues kind of hold their officials to a higher standard. Do you think that model needs to start being adopted here in the States? I think, I mean, I don't know about after one call, but if you have a handful of bad calls that you're a part of and those grades come out and say, hey, man, why is this a constant theme with you especially? Then I think you start to evaluate that a little bit more closely and say, hey, we're not going to put you on this or... 
maybe you just some have some kind of bringing you down the ladder situation. You're not going to call this high profile game and we're going to put you on something a little of, of less value, quote unquote. But yeah, like if it, if it becomes a constant theme, then I'm sure that you have to hold them more accountable. I agree that there should be more consequences for referees uh, blowing calls, like Walker said, not necessarily after one bad one, but I do think like the crew for that Duke UVA game, to me, that should it should start with maybe a suspension and then go from there. Uh, you miss the next game or you miss a couple of games because, like I said, some of these errors we're having in sports, they're just too bad, especially when you get reviews and all of those things to be able to correct said calls and then you still end up messing it up. So we'll see what happens after that. So when we come back, we got my man Adam Alexander that I call A-Dub, host of Fox's NASCAR Race Hub and NASCAR Xfinity Series play-by-play for Fox. On the other side, you're immersed in the Wes and Walker show on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What a fitting selection for our next segment. It's the Wesson Walker Show Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. And NASCAR is back. If you're wondering what I'm referring to, the Daytona 500 is here. The Super Bowl of NASCAR is what they call it. And it is back this weekend on Fox. And to talk about that and the upcoming season, to give us a you know a little bit of a briefing on what's going on over there on that That's side right. of things, I got my main man, Adam Alexander, host of NASCAR Race Hub on Fox, also Xfinity uh, series play-by-play guy and former guest of uh, West Scott Reigns, one of my good homies, Adam Alexander. What's going on, man? Hey, Wes. How you doing? I'm doing all right, man. I got, I got you in here, you know, on the show. First time to talk a little bit of NASCAR, man, to get our listeners up prime for what uh, they could see on Sunday in this season. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's an exciting time, Wes. You know, you you and I have been around Fox Sports for a long time, and and get to see you know how, how the pace of play changes this time of year. Everyone really starts getting fired up and excited, and a lot of work goes on behind the scenes in preparation from a TV standpoint. I know you've been a part of that, and and it's good to see all that hard work pay off as we head to Daytona and put the cars on track and really get to see what the season's all about. Yeah, man, no doubt. So starting things off this weekend with the 500, when you look at the odds, Denny Hamlin is the favorite, a guy that's always up there uh, every single week. Then it's followed by Blaney, Larson, Chase Elliott, Logano, and my man Kyle Busch. And then you see uh, Bubba Wallace sitting there at ninth uh, as far as odds for the Daytona 500. But 
what are you expecting to see? What can the fans expect to see in this race besides a big old crash or two? Well, it's, it's really not surprising to see Denny Hamlin as the favorite. When you look at what he's been able to accomplish in, in recent years in that race, I mean, he's won three times. He's one of a, a few drivers that have three or more victories. Of course, Richard Petty, the all-time leader with seven Daytona 500 wins. Kale Yarborough has four. Uh, Jeff Gordon, uh, Bobby Allison, those are the kinds of names you start talking about when you get into those drivers that have won three. Denny Hamlin in that category, and, and really when you look at it, and I know in sports we can always do this, the woulda, coulda, shoulda. But Denny could easily have more than three wins in the Daytona 500. He is just really, really good in the draft. We did a piece with him last week, and you know he's like any other competitor. You talk about the ones that got away. and So I feel like he goes into Daytona as someone that is at the top of the list, and he always should be just because of past performance, the equipment he's in, uh, and the ability that, that he possesses in this style of racing. You, you know, it's interesting – the betting favorite prior to the clash in Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago, Chase Elliott was favored to win the clash, the Daytona 500, and the championship. After practicing the clash, he slid down to third on the betting board for that race, and now immediately you start asking questions about where does he fit into the equation. I believe he's a big-time performer in big moments. I really feel like that Chase Elliott is someone we'll be talking about on, on Sunday. And then there are countless other drivers that you can put on the list just because the nature of this racing is if, if you're in it, you can win it at Daytona. We've seen two first-time winners the, the last couple of years. 500 miles is a long way to go at that racetrack, and really anything can happen. And we know we are right at the genesis of this season, but when you look over at the championship odds, you see Chase Elliott, a guy who's really becoming dominant uh, in this sport, along with Kyle Larson. We know the season he had two years ago. Then we talked about Denny Hamlin, Ryan Blaney, and Joey Logano. Can Joey Logano repeat as the champion, or, or what do you see just kind of an overview of who you think uh, could win the championship coming into this thing, the strongest candidates? I would probably bet against Joey Logano, not because he's not capable of doing it, but just because in any sport it's so hard to repeat. And, and the law of averages says it's probably not going to happen. You know, Having said that, from a performance standpoint, they really found their way in the, the second half of 2022 with this new car. And so you would have to believe they will go into 2023 uh, in a better position than many because not only do they have the momentum and confidence from winning the championship, but performance-wise, they were really, really good down the stretch. Interesting to me that Ryan Blaney is listed as high as he is. Ryan didn't win a race last year that paid points. Won the All-Star race, but didn't win a points-paying race last season. Remarkable to me that that's the case, especially when you consider the year that he put together in 2021 having said that led a lot of laps was really close won a lot of stages blaney is a guy another really good racer when it comes to daytona in fact his last win came in the regular season finale in 2021 at daytona so he's someone that, that if he gets it going could be a, a real player and you know you mentioned denny hamlin hamlin won a couple of times in the middle portion of last season they looked good in the playoffs, didn't win races there. I, I just feel like that Denny Hamlin uh, is a driver that can make a, a fairly big splash, not just at Daytona, but as the season goes on. 
Adam Alexander joining us now on the Body Works Plus guest hotline, the NASCAR Xfinity Series play-by-play announcer. Adam, the Daytona 500 just sold out for the eighth consecutive year. That news kind of coming in really within the last five hours or so. How would you describe the popularity of the sport right now? And really, how does it hold up even after Daytona is uh, over and done with? Yeah, I think when you look at the Daytona 500, um, you know, it, it, it's the biggest race as West said off the top. And, and we've seen some momentum in recent years in NASCAR and, and the fans are really starting to embrace, um, you know, what's been some of the new ownership groups that have come in. I mean, we talk about Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan, Brad Keselowski, uh, is on the ownership side. Now a former driver, we see Jimmy Johnson getting involved from an ownership perspective. So really, when, when you look at, at the space of the sport and how it's begun to change in recent years, and, and then I think in addition to the changes that sport has gone through, um, you know, some of these young drivers that we really didn't know about have started to gain some momentum and a fan following, which is really, um, you know, I, I think change, started to change the fan base. And, and the fans like what they're seeing. And, and in addition the racing with this new car last year was outstanding. And and so I think across the board, when you weigh all those factors and then you match it up with Daytona, which is the the biggest race on the calendar, it equals that you're going to have a a tremendous turnout. And and last year was no different. I know it was later in the week uh, last year when we announced that, that the Daytona 500 was sold out, but to be able to do it now and know that you're going in, to the week without any uh, track activity having taken place and and to know that the biggest race of the year is sold out is a really big thing for NASCAR and and it looks right now like the weather is going to be good which is nice because you follow Daytona with the West Coast swing so you want to keep that schedule on pace it appears that's going to happen now. So a real opportunity to start 2023 with a bunch of momentum. Well, and Adam, you talk about fan bases gravitating towards individual drivers, right? I mean, we've seen that all the time. How much of a hit do you expect maybe the sport of NASCAR to take when Ke- uh, Kevin Harvick is done with this season after this is going to be the last year for him as a NASCAR driver? And is that the number one storyline coming into the season for you? I would say that, that it's right there at the top. There's probably three or four storylines going into the year that, that I would say are on my short list and, and would be nominated maybe you know for story of the year in, in my eyes. Kevin Harvick will be a, a huge loss, and, and I think as much a loss in the garage area for the other competitors as it is for the fans who, who watch at home. Just because Kevin is that guy that has become the spokesperson in the garage from the drivers to NASCAR. And when you have someone that has that leadership with the competition body, it means so much to everyone involved. And, and so Kevin is a guy um, that, that I think has gone a long way uh, in, in changing the way things are done in NASCAR. He's kind of bridged the old school to new school. And, and you will miss that leadership if, if you're one of the younger drivers in NASCAR. So that, that group will miss him probably as much as the fan base will. But when you consider what he's given, uh, the championship in 2014, the the wins, the taking over for Dale Earnhardt when we tragically lost him 22 years ago, it's been a remarkable career for Kevin Harvick and and someone that that is going to be missed, um, you know, really in an immeasurable way. And and it's going to be interesting to see what he's able to accomplish in his final year because if you go back to last year. 
he, he made the playoffs. He won a couple of races. It, it's not as if he hasn't won and it's time for him to go. He's still very competitive, and he's someone that enters this year feeling like he's got a real shot. And, you know, when you look at his nickname, the closer, and you consider what he's done in his career, I don't think anyone would be surprised if he not only won races, made the playoffs, but, but made a real run toward Phoenix in the championship four. Adam, real quick before we get you out of here, just rapid fire. We saw LeBron break the all-time points record last week, and we thought that was a record that would never be broken. Is it safe to say that that Richard Petty 200-win mark would never be touched? Never will. And and, and a lot of those 200 wins uh, obviously came at a time when the schedule was lined up different and, and there were less competitors week to week, taking nothing away from that mark for Richard Petty. But we're just in a different era of NASCAR now. And, and so there's little doubt that, you know, you look at Kyle Busch, uh, he's got 60 wins and, and still has, has got some runway left in his career, but, but he's not going to get anywhere close. Probably, you know, he won't get close to a hundred, much less, you know, reach the 200 level mark. So, so th- no doubt that's a record uh, that will never be broken. My man, Adam Alexander, I appreciate you coming on here, giving us a primer for the NASCAR season. The Daytona 500 is this weekend, and you'll be calling uh, some Xfinity racing as well, correct? That's right. I've got the Xfinity race Saturday, and I'll do the uh, Craftsman Truck Series race on Friday night. All of that will lead up to Sunday's Daytona 500 on Fox, so we look forward to it. All right, Adam. Well, we appreciate it, man. Thanks for your time. Thanks, guys. All right, we're going to get out of here. When we come back, we're going to talk about more Super Bowl talk, fallout from last night. Still got to get to halftime as well. Yeah, we do. Yeah, That's man. A, especially for this what show. We, we, ate, we got a lot. 100%. You know what I'm saying? We had the food draft. So listen, we'll be back. <laughs> come back with us. It's the Weston Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.